Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. With every major news story comes a raft of misinformation, rumors, and outright fabrication. And while it's easy to shrug and just focus on what's true, that's maybe not a good idea when false hope could wrongly change your plans and false information could literally cost someone their life. Our guest today has a good handle on what's going on with COVID-19, both on the vaccine front and on the treatment front. Michael Kinch is the director of Washington University's Centers for Research Innovation in Biotechnology and Drug Discovery. He's also a professor of biochemistry and molecular biophysics and associate vice chancellor at Washington University. So, Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. So President Trump trumpeted last week that some old anti-malarial drugs are showing, quote, very encouraging results and that we're going to be able to make these drugs available, quote, almost immediately. Is there a cure on the immediate horizon? Unfortunately, no. Um, That was a misstatement. And as a matter of fact, there was an interview that came out in Science Magazine today um, with Tony Fauci, who's the head of uh, infectious diseases at the NIH. And he um, grudgingly agreed that that was a, a complete misstatement by mm-hmm. the president. Um, so there are two drugs. They're called chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine, which have anecdotally showed some evidence that they work um, in China and a little bit in, of, of evidence in Italy But the truth is that it hasn't been done in a way that it might have just been coincidence Hmm. that some of the patients treated with these drugs that it actually worked. Because some people are getting better seemingly on their own or or with normal sorts of treatments. This isn't something that's fatal to everyone with or without these particular drugs. Correct. Um, And and luckily, um, the death rate on this is it's still extraordinarily high at about 3%, but that does mean 97% of the people survive. Hmm. Now, it just feels like beyond what the president said, uh, there's just this real mixed bag of information out there right now regarding uh, treatments and possible treatments of COVID-19. Um, what do you see as the current landscape for a treatment that actually works for this thing? How, how long are we looking at? How close are we? So we, if we get lucky, we can do something known as drug repurposing. And the idea of drug repurposing is that can we take existing medicines and find a new purpose for treating COVID-19? And probably the best prospect for that is a drug called remdesivir, hmm. which um, comes from a, a company called Gilead. And strangely enough, it was developed for Ebola uh, virus infection. Hmm. And there's some anecdotal evidence that it works against SARS. And so a clinical trial has begun to ask whether it works against COVID-19 because SARS and COVID-19 are very closely related. So that seems very hopeful. I mean, when you say there's this clinical trial underway, does that mean that that hope is on the immediate horizon if this does work? If this does work, and that's the key point. Mm -hmm. And what really needs to be done is for... Um, statistically relevant data, rather than anecdotal, hey, it worked to my cousin, <laughs> um, for that to be able to show that this drug is both efficacious and safe. And, you know, that's one of the big things and one of the big frustrations we have with the announcement about chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine. These drugs are used widely for malaria, but the reality is they cause something, they cause a, a heart defect or a heart problem that is very similar to what happens with Vioxx. Mm. And as I think we're aware, Vioxx um, itself killed quite a few people due to heart attacks. 
So the last thing we want to do is to have people going to their doctor saying, I really want chloroquine because it's available, because you could be putting yourself at risk for a fatal heart attack. Okay. Well, that is, um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a dose of some truth time that hopefully will stop people from rushing out and, and immediately latching onto this. And as you're saying, that, that doesn't even sound like the most hopeful prospect on the horizon at this point. Not at this point. Okay. So if you we're wondering, if you're listening to this, if you have questions for Michael Kinch, he's the director of Washington University's Centers for Research Innovation in Biotechnology and Drug Discovery. And he's here to sort of get us up to speed on where things stand with both treatment and with vaccines. Um, and you're welcome to join this conversation. You can give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at talk at STL Public Radio. Now, Michael, one of the other interesting things I saw had made it out there from a politician, a a county commissioner in Florida, suggested at a public meeting that heat was the key to killing the virus inside people. And he suggested, quote, you hold a blow dryer up to your face and you inhale through your nose and it kills all the viruses in your nose. Is it that simple that we just need to be blow drying our nose hairs? I wish it were, but unfortunately it's not. Um, have been a lot of rumors that hot and humid weather will kill this. And of mm-hmm. course, St. Louis has no lack of hot and humid weather. But unfortunately, again, if you look, um, the infection is spreading in the Southern Hemisphere where it is late summer there. Mm. Um, and likewise, in equatorial regions, we're still seeing quite a bit of spread. So uh, heat and humidity are not going to be our friends. Interestingly enough, there's another rumor that cold and dry air will, <laughs> will do the job. And unfortunately, Again, that isn't the case. So maybe we're just sort of latching on to any piece of hope wherever we can find it. Yeah, there's actually, um, there's been, there have been some concerns enough that the, the uh, WHO put out a warning because some people have been taking like scalding hot baths mm. with the idea that this heat, similar to what you mentioned with the hairdryer, will kill the virus. Um, unfortunately, more people are having hyperthermia. Um, really damaging uh, themselves and in some cases potentially killing themselves um, by putting themselves into scalding baths. Okay. So, yeah, be careful with those baths. Uh, This is not going to kill your coronavirus. It could kill you. One of the other things I keep seeing is this idea of maybe gargling with salt water or just trying to flush your channels with salt water. Is there any truth that this might be something that helps as a treatment? Again, unfortunately, neither salt water, and actually some people are using acetic acid, essentially vinegar, or bleach, and none of that will work. Um, And as a matter of fact, what you're really doing is you're creating so much tissue damage that if you do encounter the virus, you're likely to have an even worse situation. Um, So that's really key is that you want to stay as healthy as you possibly can. Now, the information is not all bad, um, and... One thing is that the, this virus happens to be what's called a non-envelope virus. And without going heavily into the science, one of the implications of this is that detergents really destroy this thing quite easily. Hmm. So um, there are, obviously, one can't find hand sanitizer anywhere, but there's even a question as to whether that's the best way to go. The best way to go, believe it or not, appears to be good old-fashioned soap and water. Um, And if you want to take a surface, because it can live quite well, especially on metal surfaces or solid surfaces, Windex turns out to work quite well because Windex has a little bit of detergent and a little bit of ammonia. And that seems to do a great job for cleaning things up. Hmm. That said, don't use Windex on your hands because it's pretty caustic and it can cause um, you know, problems on its own. Okay, so that's not a substitute for hand sanitizer, but it might be a great thing to clean your countertops. 
And definitely don't gargle with it. <laughs> yeah, maybe we should just all stop the gargling at this point. I want to go to the phone lines. Uh, we've got Bob calling from St. Louis. Um, Bob, hi, you're on St. Louis on the air. I see where Governor Cuomo just acquired 750,000 doses of chloroquine. Is he uh, going down the wrong path uh, like the president did, or is there... Is he taking a chance? What, what, would, what would explain that, I wonder? Uh, Bob, that's a great question, and, and that's certainly news to me. That's not something that we verified. Michael Kinch, do you know anything about uh, Governor Cuomo stocking up on this anti-malarial? I have not heard that. Um, I think it's a rumor until such time as it's verified. Um, again, the danger would be that if people start taking, if a large number of people start taking chloroquine, you're arguably going to have more deaths caused by potential heart attacks, especially in susceptible populations of the elderly, which already have a stressed heart or an older heart. Um, so I would guess that until the data come in, um, it would be more dangerous than helpful to do something like stockpile chloroquine. Okay. Well, Bob, thank you for that question. And, and again, we don't know if that's something Governor Cuomo is up to. If that was a headline today, I missed it. But it sounds like that is probably not the best route to be going at this point. I'm um, going to go back to the phone lines here and, and do want to encourage you, if you have a question for Michael Kinch, um, we've got him here and, and happy to answer. You can join us at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. You can also send us a tweet at STL on air. Um, Cindy, uh, calling from St. Louis, is here. Cindy, how Hi, you're on St. Louis on the air. Hi, um, I, I have a question. I'm a senior citizen, and I'm actually on day nine of my sheltering in place, and I, I haven't actually left my house. This mm-hmm. is my ninth day. What I've heard is that um, that it's actually safe to, like, take a walk outside, maybe go down to the park, get some fresh air. But I tried to find that information on the, the WHO website, and I didn't find that. So. I'm actually just seeking confirmation that I can actually just get out and take a walk. Well, Cindy, thank you for that question. And that's great. You're actually going to the World Health Organization for info because I know they're a great source on this. Um, Michael, what do the experts say about whether or not you can be walking around in these shelter-in-place times? Absolutely. I think it's, I would encourage people to get out if they're for their mental health as much as for their physical health. Um, the, what you want to do, the two things you want to do are to avoid being within six foot of a person um, and other people, because those people could be infected. And the second thing is be very wary about touching surfaces that might be infected. Mm. So railings, things like that. But beyond that, absolutely get out. And, and uh, again, the healthier you are, if you if or when you encounter the virus, the more likely it'll be that you're okay. So getting that exercise now is a great thing. Well, Cindy, I hope you can uh, now enjoy taking a walk without without fear. So thank you for that question. Uh, Michael, we had a question that came in um, either through email or Twitter. Mary writes, vaccine development for H1N1 began in April 2009 and was widely available by December 2009. Do you see that same sort of timeline for COVID-19 vaccine availability? Unfortunately, probably not. Um, and the reason for that is that with influenza vaccines, we have had a flu vaccine since 1945, and every year we engineer new strains depending upon what flu um, isolates tend to be going out in the population. So with H1N1, we were able to just adapt an existing vaccine for the application to H1N1. Mm-hmm. With this vaccine, we have to start from scratch. And 
The hard part about a vaccine, and I, I spoke about this actually on the show a few years ago, is that you're taking a healthy population and you're now giving it something to try to prevent disease. So you've got a very high bar for safety. And what that means for COVID-19 vaccines is that they've got to undergo quite a bit of um, safety testing so that we don't end up hurting more people than we end up helping. Um, And again, it goes back to sort of like the chloroquine idea that if your treatment is worse than the disease, then you've got a problem. And with vaccines, the bar is even higher. So what would be your sense of a timeline on a vaccine? Let's say what could be the best case scenario if people can figure out, you know, what works? How long would it take to get to market from that without that fear of, of injuring innocent people? Well, if we if we take out all the stops, and I guarantee that in a month or, or a few months, uh, if we start getting positive results, there are going to be questions about relieving liability, legal mm-hmm. liability for, for potential dangers. But we have two vaccines that are underway and being investigated, one in China and one in Washington state, and 11 other vaccines that are preparing to enter the clinic. So the good news is there's a lot of work going on. Mm-hmm. Um, the bad news is that even if we pull out all the stops, we're still talking probably a year until it gets approved. And by the time you um, scale up manufacturing and, and distribution, under the assumption we get there in the first place, we're probably talking 18 months. Okay. So that's best case scenario. Could be a year to 18 months. That's good to, we should all lower our expectations of this something that being something that's going to happen very soon. I want to go back to the phone lines. Uh, Joe is calling from St. Louis. Um, Joe, hi, you're on St. Louis on the air. Uh, Yes, thank you. Um, uh, Reference was made uh, by the doctor to the uh, repurposed drug uh, from Gilead or Gilead. Um, does that have to be because it's repurposed? Does that have to be tested uh, in the uh, with the, in the trials as to toxicity or whether it's harmful as well as efficacy or just the latter, and so which can make it more quickly available? That's a great question, uh, Michael Kinch. Thoughts on that? Uh, thankfully, it's just the latter. Um, in getting the drug approved in the first place, they, it was important to establish the safety. Uh, levels. So we know what levels are safe and what levels are unsafe, so we can go straight to whether it works. And so that will cut years off of the development. And depending upon the negotiations that go on with FDA and the quality of the results that they get, this a, a repurposing opportunity could be around in months, maybe even two, three months if we get lucky. Okay. So this seems like really the, the truly hopeful front as far as you're concerned. It would be the best best case scenario. Now, it doesn't. What is very likely to happen is that the first drug won't necessarily be the best drug, but there'll mm-hmm. at least be something, and hopefully, then it'll be followed by a succession of even better medicines. So, um, I would guess that the first drugs will be probably rolling out in three, four, five months, and that hopefully, new and improved medicines will follow. Okay. Joe, thank you for that call. Let's go back to the phone lines. Lorraine is calling from St. Louis City. Um, Lorraine, hi. You're on St. Louis on the air. Thanks for taking my call. I'm curious if it's a wise choice to donate blood at this time. Mm. Great question. Michael? There are, to my knowledge, no risks in giving blood. Um, And as a matter of fact, the blood supply, as I understand it, is under a lot of stress because people are not going out. Actually, Mm. senior citizens tend to be amongst the best um, blood donors. And I tend to give every, as every two to three months. And so I would encourage everyone to go out. 
I'm sure that when you give blood, and I plan to do it in the next week or two, that you want to maintain that social distance. So the different uh, beds that you give on will probably be a little bit further apart than they were a few months ago. Um, but beyond that, it is completely safe. There's no risk of becoming infected. Um, and as long as the blood workers are being screened, and I guarantee they are. Mm-hmm. Well, that is, that's very good news, and that's a good reminder we should all be going out to do that. Thank you so much, Lorraine. Uh, we also got a question from email. Will, William asks, can your guests talk a little bit about the announced IBM effort using supercomputers to find a new drug compound for COVID-19? This is totally news to me. Michael Kinch, do you know about this? Yeah, so the idea is that as we understand the structure, the physically how this the uh, virus looks and the different molecules that are in this, that you can then design medicines that will specifically interfere with the virus. Um, it's a neat idea, and it could identify therapeutics down the road, but unless it's a drug repurposing opportunity, we're talking probably years until we see something from that. Now, the good news would be is if, it turns out that there's some little shape on the virus and one of the existing medicines that we have um, happens to fit into that spot, um, then that would be fantastic. And that would be a drug repurposing opportunity. But at this point, it's far too early to say. Okay. One other piece of information or misinformation I wanted to run past you. Um, Secretary Mike Pompeo put out a video message, and he suggested that some of the misinformation that's out there is not just coming from random people, but that it's being planted specifically by the Chinese Communist Party. He said, quote, they want to undermine our activity. Do you think some of this information is is outright attempts to deceive as opposed to just rumors and, and hearsay and people running with unproven things? I, I mean, I'm certainly not an expert in this area. I would, A, hope not, and B, the only source of misinformation that's been pretty consistent over the last few years has actually been the Russians, hmm. which is that um, specifically the anti-vaccine movement, they have been enabling that. And what they're trying to do is to sow discord. In this particular case, though, I don't see how the Russians would benefit from from doing this, and I certainly don't see the Chinese doing it. So I think that's probably probably 90% likelihood that that's a rumor. Okay. Now, Michael, you've done a great job of, of answering so many questions today. And, and unfortunately, I don't think we're going to be able to get to any more from callers. But I did want to ask you, I know you've written a book. It's called Between Hope and Fear, A History of Vaccines. And this was published two years ago and focused on new cancer therapies being developed uh, based on immune oncology. And just thinking about being between hope and fear, I'm wondering which you're closer to right now when it comes to COVID-19. Well, unfortunately, fear doesn't do anyone any good. Mm. So I don't think there's any advantage to that. Um, We've got to remain hopeful. Uh, This will pass. Uh, It's going to get harder before it gets easier. And um, this is very, you know, the the analogy of a war is very accurate. And when you look at American history, America has a pretty consistent history of doing very poorly in wars in the beginning and then getting creative, innovative, and deploying both our brain power and our firepower. And I think that'll be the case here. So I'm, I'm definitely on the side of hope. <laughs> well, I sure hope you're right about this. And, and you certainly know the history here. So I take that as a really good sign. Um, and Michael Kinch is the director of Washington University's Centers for Research Innovation in Biotechnology and Drug Discovery, as well as a professor of biochemistry and molecular biophysics. So Michael Kinch, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.